This is episode 46 of Cinescope. And why do we fall, sir? So that we can learn to pick ourselves up. Welcome to Cinescope, where our goal is not to criticize or to assign ratings, but rather to celebrate the movies we love, exploring story, characters, music, and relevance to the world around us. I'm your host, Chad Hopkins, and joining me today is Seth O'Neill to talk about one of our favorite films, Batman Begins. Seth, how are you doing today? Doing great. How are you? I'm doing all right. We are sitting in the same room together, just like Melanie and Andrew and I have done, but you're not one of the ones who lives with us, but you're still a very, very close friend of ours. And uh, I'm glad to have you here today to finally be on the podcast. I'm glad to finally actually be on an episode. And this is a little bit of a special episode because we sadly lost Adam West this past weekend, and you and I were actually hanging out when we found out about that. And we're not talking about an Adam West movie today, but we are talking about a sort of Adam West role in talking about Batman. And funny enough, this episode will actually release on the 12th anniversary of the release of this film. So that's not planned at all, but everything just sort of lined up that way. Yeah, it was crazy because I remember seeing it on social media about Adam West and uh, seeing that he died. At first, I thought it was one of those hoax where like people made up the death, but then I found out it actually was true. And then I mentioned it to you because I think we're on our way to the another to watch another movie at that time. And then uh, I mentioned the idea of doing Batman. And then I kind of hit me in the head like, oh, Adam West, let's do it as a memorial, memorial to Adam West. And uh, it worked out perfectly. It did. So how about you just let everybody out there listening know who you are, how we know each other, all that good kind of stuff. Of course. Uh, so yeah, I'm, my name is Seth O'Neill. So I am a teacher out in Grand Prairie. I've been teaching there for about two years. Me and Chad have uh, been best friends since middle school. We were actually were in choir together and uh, continued to be in choir throughout middle school, high school. And then it was me, Andrew, and Chad we were the kind of three amigos throughout that journey. And then uh, we've been best friends ever since. Yes, we have. And Despite not going to the college together, we both majored in music-related degrees, which was pretty cool. So uh, we still have that musical connection going on, and now we're just still hanging out all these years later and having a great time as friends. So once again, glad to finally have you on the show here in episode 46. It's about time. Yes. Well, I think that's all that we needed to get covered. Are you just ready to go ahead and dive into the movie? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So, we are talking about Batman Begins, which was released on June 15th of 2005 and was directed by Christopher Nolan, who also directed the following, Memento, Insomnia, The Prestige, The Dark Knight, The Dark Knight Rises, Interstellar, Inception, and upcoming Dunkirk. It was written by David S. Goyer as well as Nolan, and the music is by frequent Nolan collaborator Hans Zimmer who also composed the scores for The Lion King, the first four parts of the Caribbean movies, Gladiator, The Last Samurai, the other two movies in this trilogy, and Interstellar, as well as James Newton Howard, who also composed the scores for Pretty Woman, Three Men and a Little Lady, The Fugitive, Wyatt Earp, Waterworld, Space Jam, The Sentinel, The Sixth Sense, Dinosaur, Unbreakable, Atlantis Lost Empire, Signs, all four Hunger Games films, and most recently, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. The movie stars Christian Bale, Michael Caine, Gary Oldman, Morgan Freeman, Liam Neeson, Katie Holmes, Cillian Murphy, Tom Wilkinson, Rutger Hauer, and Ken Watanabe. So, starting off, what was your first experience that you remember with this movie? 
uh, like you said, it was released basically 12 years ago. So when I thought that I was like, I just realized I was 13 when this movie was released, which is insane. That is crazy. Uh, so just thinking back, obviously, I did go see this in the theaters because I'm a huge superhero fan uh, to begin with. And obviously, my respect for movies has changed since I was 13 years old. Obviously, I'm going to see Batman. I'm more focused on it's a Batman movie. It's going to be awesome. It's a superhero so I know that I was super excited for this movie because Batman was one of the superheroes that I've grown up with, seeing all the older movies and kind of getting ready to see this. And I was super excited because it's kind of like you're ready for your own generational Batman. Like you've seen these other movies, and you're, but you're a kid. You weren't there when they were released. And now, hey, this is going to be my Batman. Right. Uh, so I was super excited about that. And obviously, I mean, the movie did not disappoint me at all. It was big. It was Christopher Nolan, so he goes big all the time. So I was really happy about that and the experience of a new trilogy of Batman movies. Christopher Nolan had released a couple of films previous to this, which were well-received, but I think this is the one that really put him on the map because, I mean, you can't really just put out a small Batman movie. This is as big as it is, as, it, as they come. And they they really made Christopher Nolan more of a household name. Unfortunately, I didn't see Batman Begins in the theater originally. I I don't know if it just wasn't on my radar for one reason or another. I didn't watch a lot of superhero things as a kid. I mean, I was familiar with the late 80s and 90s Batman series. But other than that, I didn't explore much of the character. I wasn't into comics as a kid. I didn't watch the cartoons. And so I, I, I guess it just wasn't on my radar. Plus, I didn't see as many movies in general back then. So... I ended up getting this on DVD for Christmas from a friend, I think. Christmas from a birthday, which is just a month later. And I left it alone for a long time. And one day, I guess I was bored at home and decided, hey, I'll check it out. Why not? And I was kind of blown away right off the bat. I was disappointed I hadn't seen it in theaters. And I I just wasn't used to a Batman that was taken so seriously and not in a bad way either. 1989's Batman movie by Tim Burton has its its darker elements like this one, but it also has its lighter moments with Jack Nicholson as a Joker and that kind of stuff. Whereas this one is just firmly rooted in a real world kind of scenario, and that really hadn't been approached in Batman outside of the comics a couple times. I was finally able to see it in theater with you when The Dark Knight Rises came out, and they did a trilogy showing in IMAX. So I was glad to at least have seen this movie on the theater one time, and man, it 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 holds up so well. I think this movie is often overshadowed by The Dark Knight, especially because this is just as maybe almost as good as The Dark Knight. I mean, it, it's one of the best superhero origin movies out there. And it, it just sort of gets left by the wayside because it doesn't have Heath Ledger as the Joker in it. And that that's to its discredit, unfortunately, but it's still, man, such a great film. Oh, yeah, I totally agree that it is definitely one of the better origin stories, and I th- we'll probably get into a little layer of why we think that as well. The dynamic just movie itself, the way they tell the story, the way that it moves and flows, it's just not a typical origin story, because typically origin stories have a lot of information, a lot of backstory, here's who the character is, how they grew up, but this one kind of did that in a manner that kept you engaged and also told a whole another story about what was happening with that Gotham City itself. Yeah, there's two specific elements, I think, in the storytelling here that are just, they they help with that origin uniqueness that we don't get in a lot of other origin films. For starters, at the beginning of the film, we are sort of dropped into Bruce Wayne's life. We, We don't get a proper, necessarily, introduction to him. We see him, in fact, the first thing we see might be actually the flashback of him falling into the cave and introducing his fear of bats right off the bat. 
to use a little bit of a pun. Uh, but we, we get that and we also get the scene at the prison and we don't know why he's there. We don't know anything about how he came to be in this prison getting in fights with people at this point. So in the way that it just drops us into the story and we have to sort of play catch up for a little bit, but through the uses of those flashbacks of him as a kid and stuff like that, we, we get to learn more about Batman and ultimately find out his motivations in a way that is super organic in this, the storytelling here. Yeah. And I also think that one big thing is that they did well is because obviously people know the story of Batman enough where they don't have to retell it detail by detail, word for word, who Bruce Wayne is, what the deal was. So they didn't have to like draw the picture, which is one thing that origin stories fail at sometimes where they think that we have to retell every single detail again and again and again. Yeah. Like in Spider-Man where we've, we've seen Ben Parker die two or three times at this point. Yeah, I mean, we, we know it's going to happen. We know it's going to be really sad and the emotions through that, but they're dropping something. I think that the new Spider-Man is going to be exciting. Oh, as well agreed, agreed. I'm just making... I think they're, they're changing that whole story too, so I'm really excited about that. So that's that's a little pin dropper there. But yeah, this story, like the Christopher Nolan just does a good job of making sure that he at least introduces the character of Bruce Wayne and the why he became Batman and where the fear of it became, but he didn't have to describe every little detail of his family and everything like that. And the the film editing itself in this movie, and it sort of becomes a hallmark of the trilogy as a whole, there aren't really these transitions from scene to scene. It, it, it's like they sum something up and we're moving on without a screen wipe. It's just the, the music and the energy of the storytelling itself moves everything forward. So in the beginning half, especially when we're jumping back and forth between flashbacks and the training uh, in the mountains with uh, the League of Shadows, it's just... This this ever flowing, very I hate to use the word again so soon, but organic flow to the film itself. It, it just it seems so natural to just move back and forth the way it does without ever really slowing down or pausing for a black screen. It's it's just constantly moving forward, and the, the music helps to to project it forward as well. Yeah, and I, like you're talking about just the pace of it. The pace of it is like the one thing that I like about it is it doesn't feel like it's ever going ever slow or ever too fast. There's like a perfect motion with it. it it goes from scene to scene it tells what it needs to tell and doesn't prolong it it doesn't cut it short it just is a perfect length for each part and this is a two hour 20 minute long movie and i don't think it even really feels like that at any point it, i i never was watching my watch or checking the time on my computer since we were watching it together in my room you're right it's it's paced so perfectly that even at its long run time it doesn't ever really feel like that because you're so engaged in what's happening whether it's the faster moments of action accompanied by zimmer and newton howard's music or it's the slower moments between bruce and alfred or bruce and rachel where we're really getting these deep character moments so the the pacing is great what else do you like about the story here one thing that you're, you just dropped out with the relationships, uh, just seeing the different relationships that Bruce Wayne has with different people is amazing because he shows a different characteristic of himself in each relationship. Uh, like in Alfred, he's, Alfred's a fatherly figure, but at the same time, he also rejects the fatherly figure with Alfred, so he treats him like a butler sometimes. And then with Rachel, he cannot put this mask on of the fake Bruce Wayne he is. He has to be real with her because that he loves her. And with... Uh, Raz al Ghul, he's his mentor for the first half of the movie, uh, mentoring him about how to control his fear. But eventually that becomes, he becomes a villain because he's controlling a fear in a way that Bruce doesn't ever wants to control and using it for uh, injustice rather than justice. Uh, so just the relationships itself of uh, how Bruce Wayne grows himself and also how the relationship change and also grow throughout the movie. 
Yeah, like I said, I didn't read the comics much as a kid, and even now as an adult, I've only read a few of the very early issues of Batman, so I didn't get a whole lot of the, the character development side of Batman. You just get a lot of the, the pow, bam, slap kind of stuff that you associate with the Adam West Batman. That, that's sort of what a lot of people, I think, sort of default to when you think to the comics, if you're not thinking of stuff like The Killing Joke or The Long Halloween. But getting those deep character moments with Batman in this movie, and just as a whole bringing a sense of realism to the story. A, a lot of people like to use the word gritty, but I don't watching this movie. I don't think this movie is gritty at all. It's just real. And I think that's a key distinction that I think a lot of people could learn really well from, because when you look at this movie and you take away the word gritty, you make gritty movies that aren't very good. And I'm not necessarily calling out any movies in specific, but it's just the wrong takeaway. This is a real movie set in a real universe. When Batman is assembling his mechanisms and his, outfit it's taken from real world applications that he's getting military equipment to to outfit himself as batman and that that fits so perfectly of course that's where he would get this stuff from from the r&d department at the company that his father started it fits so well into our world uh without ever defaulting to gritty i hate that word because it's not what this is at all yeah, and uh, one thing I also really like about this different take of Bruce Wayne and the way Christian Bale plays it is I feel like this Bruce Wayne is a more immature, young Bruce Wayne than we've ever seen in other movies. Other, other movies, you kind of see Batman more kind of put together. He's more mature. He's typically, I think, pictured older. Uh, so we don't really get to see this immature side of Bruce Wayne, carefree at the beginning of before pre-Batman, carefree, and then the transition into this new Batman, how he also still has to pretend that he's carefree so that his... Uh, person has identities contained yeah even in the 1989 batman we drop into a world where batman's already been around for a little while i think whereas this one we're, we're seeing the origin we're seeing him become batman and we get the the precursors to batman too so we see him as a kid we see him as a late teenager early adult who's struggling with the the grief of his parents passing and the anger he feels at their killer we understand the struggle he's going through and identify with him because of that. So seeing Bruce at all these different stages in his life early on, still he's still relatively young, but seeing him build into this stage of his life is really valuable in understanding the character. Plus, Batman in this movie is just really cool. <laughs> the first scene where we have him in costume, we've spent time with him and Alfred building the cowl and outline the belt and using a, a grinder to shape the the batarangs and all this kind of stuff and then the first time we see him in costume he's striking fear into criminals he's causing darkness by throwing his batarangs or whatever you want to bat shurikens i don't know what you want to call them batarangs yeah they're batarangs <laughs> his batarangs by throwing them the light bulbs to cast everything into darkness and it ends with him holding carmine falcone over the top of the car and just shouting i'm batman and that's awesome uh it's just this great first scene as batman and it's made even more rewarding because we've seen the training process we've seen the preparation process and everything that has led him to this point and we understand why he chose the bat and we understand why he, he's so scary in presentation and how he's so easily hidden in darkness it's just a, such a cool build-up and that first scene itself uh as a whole is so rewarding in portraying batman yeah, and I really like uh, one of the scenes leading up to that, the first fighting scene as him as Batman. Is he, uh, he's understanding what Batman needs to become. He's talking about how Batman needs to, needs to be a symbol 
for the city because a man can just be ignored, a man can just be defeated, uh, but a symbol can last forever. A symbol can put the fear in those into anybody. So just that leading up to that first fight scene, you're just like, oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. They build up to it so well so that when it happens, you're just like, oh, this is, this is the Batman I want. I want this action. I want the fear that you can see in their eyes they're running away from Batman because even like from the get-go of the the fight sequence like one guy gets taken out and everyone else just freaks out and runs away because they have no idea who the heck what the heck this thing is right and he's so efficient that they don't know if it's one person or multiple people it it, it turns him into a sort of supernatural being without introducing any supernatural elements yeah and that that all of course goes back to his league of shadows training that he gets to now we can just see the process of him becoming because we see at the beginning of the movie he's a good fighter he's fighting in the prison he takes on several men beats them up and then all of a sudden you see this new fighting style where he's now kind of doing the ninjutsu kind of mindset of the league of shadows how they disappear reappear using your environment as an advantage and then just seeing that all come full circle it again adds more to batman than just thwip and bam and crash and i don't say that to criticize the 1960s batman or the comics or anything like that it's just a new version of the character we really hadn't seen before it again adds real world realism last thing i really have to say about the story the the gotham setting is an excellent setting as a whole because it show we get to see both the lightness and the darkness of the city we see the downtown area where the the rich people are thriving and where the the subway is leading but as time has gone on and the wanes are dead uh, we see the same subway covered in graffiti we see the dark parts of the city we see the the narrows we see the docks we see all these places that are shrouded in darkness and led by crime and it sort of is an example of how light and dark can exist in any place and even within ourselves sometimes and within Batman and within within Raz al Ghul. There's light and darkness in all of us. And in this setting, it's just so clear and easy to follow. Anything else about the story or anything like that? Uh, yeah, there's one thing that actually caught my attention at the very beginning of the movie was whenever uh, he was actually talking to Raz al Ghul and Raz al Ghul was training him. And one of the things that Razzle was telling Bruce is talking about how he's not just becoming a vigilante, but you want to become a legend. You want to become something that will last forever. Your tales will last forever. And I think that that's a perfect setup for the entire trilogy itself. Because at first, you when people of Gotham see Batman, they see him as a masked vigilante. Police don't like him because he's breaking the law. The people love him because they're protecting them. And then that whole vigilante sequence kind of transitions into a legend at the end of the trilogy whenever he saves Gotham from exploding from Bane. And you see that whole transition from vigilante to legend of Gotham, uh, the savior of Gotham. And that's just an awesome kind of like first movie. Within the first few scenes, it kind of already set up a kind of uh, map of what what this trilogy is going to lead up to of the legend of Batman. Right. It's like a projection of his character arc from what we see him at the beginning to what we see him at the end where they've erected a statue. I think they erect a statue. Yeah, it was a statue. <laughs> it's yeah. been a while since I've seen the Dark Knight Rises. But yeah, they, they erect a statue for him in Gotham after he has saved them all. So yeah, I think that's a, a cool thing to point out. 
Uh, well, let's go ahead and talk about characters just a little bit more in depth. So we talked about Bruce a little bit. From the very beginning of the film, we're given his backstory. We learned that his family has a legacy of doing good in Gotham, whether it's helping slaves to escape. We, we find under Wayne Manor, there's uh, a system of tunnels and an elevator to help slaves to escape from slavery, or whether it's his dad, who is this rich millionaire, billionaire even, owns this huge corporation but he works in a hospital. He, he's just a do-gooder and everything he does is focused around helping Gotham, the city, to be better and to hopefully be safer. So that that really sort of helps Bruce to understand that my purpose in life, his purpose in life is to help people. And he just has to find his own way of doing it. He thinks maybe the first way he was going to do it was by getting rid of Joe Chill, who killed his parents. And he, through Rachel, understands that that's wrong. And that sets up this reason that he has for not wanting to kill people. He he sought revenge on Joe Chill. He was thwarted. He was scorned by Rachel. She says, your father would be ashamed of you. And though he he's hurt in the moment and she has slapped him and he, he steps out of the car and doesn't talk to her for seven years, he understands that she's right. And he throws away the gun. And the whole rest of his journey is about seeking justice without becoming an executioner and that is what separates him from criminals and from the league of shadows themselves is his unwillingness to kill and it's because of the the path that was laid for him as we see at the beginning of the film yeah and i think that's a great description of kind of the character and i think that obviously his his parents were a great example to him of being good doing good his legacy that alfred kind of explains to him uh, as doing good, doing good. And then obviously his life gets switched around when his parents die. And then I think at that point he's like, well, I'm not ready to do good. I don't know how to do good. I'm just a little kid. And now my parents are dead. I'm angry. So he kind of turns away from his, what his whole family's kind of been set up because he doesn't have anyone to direct him in a, in a direction that will point him towards where his when, the Wayne legacy has been going towards this whole time. And I mean, he has Alfred, but I mean, Alfred is not his parents at that time. Like he doesn't look up to Alfred as a parent. He's, he just knew Alfred as a butler ever since he was a kid. So that kind of threw his life off track. And then come, him coming back, kind of growing a little bit, but also at the same time still angry, getting through that anger, and then kind of transitioning his mindset to now Now I understand what my parents did. I'm going to do the same thing, but in the way that I know I can do it. Because his, his dad was a doctor. Obviously, Bruce skipped school. I mean, he went to Princeton at one time. Came back, said it's not my thing. Like he was never an educated, really an educated guy. He was more so a, you can see him a fighting guy. He fought his whole life. So his only his way that he could do good is by fighting back. So it was just a different way. He found his way of doing good for the city rather than what the ways that his father or his ancestors did during their time of living. And he does so in a way that's empathetic to criminals. He he starts his journey towards becoming Batman by abandoning his status as Bruce Wayne. He gets rid of his wallet, his money, his clothes, and he sets off on this journey to experience life from the perspective of these people who have to resort to crime in many times because they don't have other options to supply for themselves and to feed themselves and that kind of stuff. And so though Batman himself is a violent character, the fact that he doesn't kill, I think also, yes, it shows a value system, but it also shows that he understands them and he, he's not going to give corporate punishment for people who often resort to things because they feel they have no other options. I think that's an important aspect to consider when talking about Batman in this franchise as well. 
Yeah, I agree with that for sure. And that, and that definitely sets up his morals that we can see throughout each movie of the trilogy and how each movie challenges his morals even more. So, like, th- this one, he starts his morals out. He knows what he's going to do in Dark Knight. The Joker challenges that moral, saying, you're, you're going to have to kill me in order to get rid of me. Like, he'll never, he'll find a way to escape. He'll always, I'll always be there. And then Bane shows up, and he's ready, he's going to destroy Gotham. And his morals are challenged, and he even goes past his morals at that point. Because he he wants to save the city from what's going to happen, and it's just a continual challenge of who he wants to be and what he wants to be known for. And then you have his relationship with Rachel. You know they they grew up together in the same household. He values her as an old friend. He values her as a judge of character, as we see, because she knew his father and is one of the few people who did who's still involved in his life. And then we see her as a love interest. And I I like the way that their relationship builds throughout the course of the film. At the beginning, they're just childhood friends. Later, when he's come back for the Joe Chill trial, we see sort of a little bit of romance in between them because distance makes the heart grow fonder, I suppose. And they, they separate angry at each other because Rachel has scorned him and Bruce has threatened to kill this other guy and it's just bad on all counts. Well, seven years later, when he's gotten his training and he comes back, he now wears this mask, as she calls it, of being this rich billionaire playboy where he's really more of Batman. He's really this guy who's seeking to do good in the world and he can't show her because he's Batman and he can't really let that secret out. And by the end of the film, when he's not certain he's going to be able to come back from it. He, he lets her know in the way he knows how, but the, the, the growth of that relationship I think is really nice throughout the film. We, we see a progression rather than it just happening. Yeah. And I, one thing I really like about Rachel's character that Kay Holmes does is that she's just consistent throughout the film. Her character doesn't change at all. She's still the same Rachel throughout the whole entire film. She's kind of like a rock for Bruce. Uh, someone that is consistent, that wants to stand for what she stands for, will not be like faltered, and she's want she's always there for justice, always there to to get, make sure that the right person gets put where they need to be put, and she's just will fight against whoever will put it, whether it be uh, Doctor Crane, the judges, the police. She wants she just wants justice. Yeah, she's a moral compass for both Bruce and for the city. She's standing against corruption. She's rattling the cages. She, she's doing what she can to, again, to do right by the city and by the law. And like Rachel, we also have, uh, not commissioner, um, what's his title? At the, uh, it's just officer. Officer Gordon. He, officer Gordon, he, like Rachel, is incorruptible. Both of them are, are rocks. They're, they're not going to be swayed one way or the other. In the case of Gordon, it's whether it's by criminals or even by vigilantes like Batman. The first time Bruce comes up behind Gordon and holds a stapler to his neck, Gordon chases him down and uh, draws his gun because, hey, I understand what you're trying to do is good, but it's not the right way to go about things. You have to stay within the confines of the law. So even when it comes to vigilante justice and people trying to do good outside of the law, Gordon is unable to be swayed. But eventually he is able to see Batman as a help rather than as a criminal because Batman is able to accomplish so much. So both Rachel and Gordon as these sort of incorruptible, immovable figures in the movie. Yeah, and I really like that both of them are are in the law. They're both, one, one's a lawyer, one's an officer. So they're held within the constructs of the law. They can't go outside of it or else their jobs are in jeopardy. Uh, even though obviously the city itself is in jeopardy because people in those positions are corrupting and they're taking stuff that they shouldn't be taking, everything like that. But uh, So that kind of gives Batman the more of a alleyway of being outside the law because he sees 
even though they're inside the law, they can only do so much. So his character needs to be someone that can do what they can't. So it's really, I, I just, I mean, I didn't even realize, I knew that they were both in the law, but I never like really made the connection. Hey, they're both in the law. He can be outside the law type of relationship. Yeah, it's sort of a, I can dirty my hands so that you don't have to situation because Batman is a vigilante essentially, and he's not operating as a public official. He's able to do things that they wouldn't otherwise, including in the second movie, he goes to Beijing to bring uh, Yao, I think, back. That's something that Gordon definitely couldn't do, even in his, in his capacity as a police officer. So th- that's a good point, too. Now, we also have Alfred, who is loyal to Bruce. He's loyal to the Waynes in general. And there's something I hadn't thought about before while we were watching today. Bruce has been missing, presumed dead for seven years at the time he comes back to be Batman. And that means Alfred was probably by himself alone at Wayne Manor, enjoying a life of non-servitude. He might have been keeping the place clean, but other than that, he was living for him. And Bruce comes back and he just falls easily back into the, the role of father figure, butler, whatever you want to call it. There's no question. There's no pushback. He's an unselfish character. In that sense, he he's there to help the Wayne family and the Wayne legacy as much as he can. And when Bruce comes back home with this crazy idea of becoming this justice warrior in the night, he doesn't question him because he sees that Bruce is continuing the Wayne legacy of helping people. And so in that way, I think that Alfred serves as a rock for Bruce in this film as well. I definitely agree with that for sure. And I really like uh, one of the scenes where he, where Bruce is kind of questioning Alfred's intentions, motives, and Alfred tells him that a man entrusted me with what was most precious to him. And that's obviously referring to Bruce himself. So he's like, I mean, I honestly couldn't care for anything else. I'm here for you. Like, that's kind of just ensuring that he's a rock for Bruce. He's, he's someone that continually is a hope for Bruce. He knows that Bruce will end up doing good. He knows that he, that Bruce inside of himself, even though he may be having a huge conflict, that there is good in him. He will make it out. He will continue fighting no matter what. So Alfred's just continually, and even Bruce will always asks himself, you, you'll never give up on me. He's like, no, I'm never going to give up on you. That's, I've, I know who you are. I'm not giving up. So Alfred has that solid rock hope in uh, Bruce that is awesome. And one thing that I really think is funny is that, like, kind of talked about how Alfred's just kind of went with the idea of being Batman. And then all of a sudden, he, he like, is giving him advice on how to be Batman. Like, hey, in order to be Batman, you still have to be Bruce Wayne. And I want you to do ridiculous things like buy a hotel and bring supermodels, bring multiple supermodels. Like, he was, like, dropping these ideas in his brain. Like, hey, you can't just stop being Bruce Wayne. And it's funny because it's Alfred. Like, it's, it's Butler. It's You never think that Alfred would just be giving these crazy ideas of how to continue being Bruce Wayne to Bruce Wayne. Right. And, you know, there is one moment of conflict between, or one major moment of conflict, I should say, between Bruce and Alfred. And that's the scene uh, before the birthday party when Bruce is trying to do his Batman things. And like you were saying, Alfred is saying, hey, you, you still got to be Bruce Wayne. You still got to uphold the family legacy. You, this is your father's house and you've got to represent your father in this house. So he's chastising Bruce for sort of sullying the Wayne name in a little bit. But after all is said and done and Bruce is essentially left for dead in his burning home, Alfred comes back and says, I haven't given up on you. Like you were saying that quote, you saw me given up on me. Never. He shows that he doesn't place value in the building or in the name, but in Bruce himself. So you see that that's a real relationship there. And it's very much, very much father son. And that only grows throughout the course of the trilogy. 
Yeah, and I really, and you can, as you watch the trilogy, you can definitely see that continuing, grow and grow and grow. Until in the third movie, I think it, you see you see the father figure the most because it, he talks about how he hopes to see what he hopes Bruce's future looks like outside of Batman because he's hoping that he gets out of, out of being Batman, actually enjoying life, having a family, and getting outside of just having to save Gotham every single time. So you see that fatherly figure grow throughout the trilogy, which makes it again. This trilogy is just a awesome trilogy that i think will last a long long time that it's, it's gonna be really hard for another batman set of movies to take place of the dark knight trilogy yes and i i want to shout out real quick to morgan freeman as lucius fox who i don't have a whole lot to say about but he he's just a reliable person he's a smart person he's resourceful and it, it's cool having the this connection to bruce where he's able to supply the batman gadgets and as long as you don't tell me what you're doing with them, I don't have to lie about it. <laughs> so he's a smart man. He, I think, or I don't think, he definitely understands what Bruce is doing with his free time. I'm sure he watches the news. He sees all of his special equipment flying around and driving around on rooftops and launching itself across bridges and all that kind of stuff. He's a smart man, uh, but he's, he's just a likable person. And it, it's a, a neat foil to have this character for Bruce to return to saying, you know, now I need this as he's adapting to the role of being Batman and having these requirements to traverse a city at night. Now I'm going spelunking. Now I'm going base jumping. And it, it's, it's, it's an amusing part of the film seeing Bruce going to this guy with a guise of some sort of new adventure, but we all know. And Lucius probably knows that it's just to be Batman. I really also like the character Lucius because he he also is another form of loyalty to the Wayne family because uh, you see that he when he'll mention in the movie like hey I was working under your father I was one of the chair members and I was one that was underneath the father I respected him I liked him and then whenever his father died he got moved he got pushed to the corner because he was one that was not wanting the business to sell itself out to arms dealers or how where the direction of the business was now heading towards. So he was showing loyalty to uh, to the Wayne family, and that, I think that's just another part of the movie that makes you respect Lucius, and also a reason why he lets Bruce Wayne come in and take it because he, and he even quoted himself saying, "Honestly, this is your stuff, anyways, so you can right. take it. you can take it, so it's fine." Uh, you may have more, but the last character I really have anything to say about is Ra's al Ghul himself, uh, Liam Neeson who is a really interesting villain. I always love villains who have motivation beyond just wanting to do bad things. And Ra's al Ghul is definitely one of those characters who's not out to do bad things. We get a little bit of backstory to him too. He talks about how he had a, a wife that he loved and he loses her just like Bruce lost his family. And the grief of that loss leads him to the League of Shadows, but he handles it incorrectly he doesn't go the, the the correct path from grief he uses it to be consumed by vengeance that's what the league of shadows is is vengeance fighters and it's sad because you see his passion for fighting evil and for getting rid of crime it's admirable but his original purpose has sort of been corrupted because of almost a bloodlust for getting revenge on all who do wrong which is in itself wrong so it's interesting to have this character who is motivated to do bad things by essentially good reasons the two mindsets of both bruise and Roz are completely just off they're complete opposites kind of like one one kind of an analogy i can think of is like if there's something wrong with your arm Roz's thing would be chop your arm off and then bruce would be like hey let's see what's wrong with it and then i'll we'll fix from there like Roz just wants to cut the whole thing like cut all evil out if he even sees a little bit of evil he wants to just destroy any potential area it could be around 
and Bruce wants to actually dive in, find it, and get it out in a safe manner that keeps the whole, I mean, in, that, in this movie, Gotham safe, rather than destroying Gotham, even because Bruce knows there's a good in it, but Roz doesn't care, he just sees the evil in it. And Roz lets light the fact that the League of Shadows has been operating for centuries, and they're the ones behind the London fire, and they're the ones behind the Black Plague, allegedly. And so this is an organization that is killing millions and billions of innocent people who are exactly that, innocent, and aren't the wrongdoers. But he's doing it because he sees the small percentage of wrongdoers and perceives that they are the majority when that is not the case. Like I was talking about earlier, you look at Gotham, you see the darkness, yes, but you also see the light. You see the good people of the city doing good in the city. And unfortunately, Roz, because of his experience and his pain and his grief, he's unable to see that and reacts by, like you say, chopping off the arm. And I think this goes to credit just another brilliance of Christopher Nolan of how he develops his, his villains. Because I think with each villain that has a similar design of how they're not just evil because they're evil. They're evil because they have a twisted viewpoint of what is good, what is bad. And, I mean, you see that with uh, Ra's al Ghul. I mean, obviously, his, his, we talked about how his viewpoint is. You know, if I, there's evil in the area, I need to just destroy the evil Joker. He's just causing chaos because he enjoys the view of it. And then Bane is there because he wants Gotham to burn so that they can feel his his pain, feel what he's going through. And, and that's also going, and that also attributes back to the Ra's al Ghul of finishing what Ra's al Ghul started in the third movie is because we learned that uh, Bane and his and Ra's daughter are there to finish the job of what their father tried to do in the first movie. So it's just kind of a good development of different villains and different stories of the Batman comics and the Batman movies itself of just how the villains are. Evil, yes, but not just a, I'm evil, mwahahaha, I just want the world to die evil. It's always nice to see a villain, whether it's in a Marvel film or in a, a other superhero film or even just a normal drama, uh, somebody who's doing bad because of reasons that they see as righteous. And that's the most interesting kind of villain to me. So let's go ahead and move on then. Let's talk about the music a little bit. So uh, joint venture by Hans Zimmer and James Newton Howard here. Uh, what stands out about the music to you here? Uh, I just really enjoy the dynamics of the music because uh, throughout the, like, honestly, I I didn't really think about the music at all until it got to the major action scenes where you can actually hear the, the dominance of the music. And uh, Hans Zimmer, I mean, you, his, his music he makes, you can definitely tell it, he belongs to him because he has a consistency of using heavy percussion, like bass, and then also using horns that have uh, powerful hits to it as well. And it's just throughout the the movie, you can kind of just the music just fits perfectly with the situation. Whether whether it's something leading up to a big fight scene, you can kind of feel the rush of it. If it's a soothing kind of emotional uh, scene with between two characters, you kind of feel it's quiet, not overwhelming at all, and it just feels it, it doesn't interrupt anything that's going on. So there's a good flow with the music, good dynamics used throughout it that I really enjoyed. That just made the the movie just move even better than like kind of we talked about the flow of it, how it wasn't slow, wasn't fast. The movie just moved well. I agree. And one thing that's interesting that's unique about this soundtrack specifically is the track titles are actually named after different species of bats, if you didn't know that. So if you look at it, you have stuff like Molossus, which is the, the main action cue, or Vespertilio, which is the very first track. You have 
Epticicus, which, I mean, I don't really have a whole lot of bat knowledge, so I wouldn't have been able to identify any of these species. But it's cool when you look at the track list and you do a little bit of research, you see that they, they are making the bat association because this is all about origin. This is all about establishing the character. And so much about this movie is establishing Batman as a, a man who has conquered his fear and is using his fear on his enemies. That is a, a, a big focus of this movie is overcoming that fear. And so to take the track titles themselves and to name them after different species of bats is a real unique approach. Now for the music itself, at the beginning, it sort of alternates between a, a, a mysterious sound. It, it's, it's energetic still, but it's, it's very, it's very mysterious. We don't get a lot of substance right off the bat, but we get hints of Batman's eventual theme, which is a sort of ascending minor third, the bum bum. That, that's Batman's theme. It, it's really simple, but that, that persists throughout the entire trilogy. And at the beginning, when we hear it, it's just the simple note. We don't get a lot of extra chordal backup kind of stuff. Uh, but we also get the more melodic and the, the almost melancholy music for the, the flashback scenes for Bruce's past. And the, it accompanies the relationship scenes between him and Rachel, especially the first big glimpse we get at the action music is during the scene at the League of Shadows when Bruce is escaping. And, you know, the action music in this movie and this trilogy, really, it was a new kind of action music than we had ever really heard before, I think. Like you were talking about with Zimmer, especially, um, you get that percussive energy that's always moving forward and moving forward and it's always rolling and advancing the the action the story it, it's very energetic and that that main action theme and that style of composition for action music really became predominant in the years afterward until maybe inception i guess and then inception gave us the the drones and the the horns uh that then became so predominant but what that shows to me is zimmer and of course newton howard too did something here that was unique and is highly imitable. And, you know, you get the first major appearance of that Batman scene I was talking about when Bruce goes into the cave and we see that he has conquered his fear because he stands amidst the swarm of bats and they're they're flying around him. And that's when we get the the ascending minor third again, but that second note is drenched in a major chord this time. And it, it's about resolving the character. And that's what he has done in that moment is he's resolved his fear of bats and has accepted his new role as a bat basically so within the music itself we're getting character development and action progression and that's something that zimmer and newton howard both are very very skilled at doing and just just that the fact that they were able to create music that like you're saying that goes along with the character development complements it like that's something that is insane to think about that music can do that some people just like don't they, some people obviously may not even recognize the music when they're watching the movie because they're so engulfed with what's going on but the fact that the music can lead into that, that the music has the power to do that and can lead a move lead a character into to show the growing 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 is just another just way we just can't i mean i don't know it just blows your mind to think that music has that power and it's just really cool to think about that yeah, and I can imagine some might have some criticisms of Batman's, quote, theme, which 
is just a minor third, like I was talking about, because it's not Danny Elfman's Batman theme from the 1989 movie, which is immensely more melodic and singable. I will give you that. But I think that when I think of this Batman trilogy and I think of that motif for Batman and I think about how it progresses through the trilogy and at the very end of the trilogy when we get the biggest interpretation of that theme yet, it is so satisfying to hear this build up and this build up and this build up of this character in such a simple theme. Uh, it, it's really a testament to these composers that they were able to, to, to fit so much into so little. And the last thing I really have to say is the the melodic music that we do get, which I think I, I would largely attribute to James Newton Howard. I don't know exactly who composed what parts of the score, but at the end, especially is where you really hear it when Rachel and Bruce are together at the, the site of Wayne Manor after it's burned down. That music is gorgeous and it, it tugs at your heartstrings in a way that that you don't always get in such an action film. Uh, so from all across the spectrum, there, there's great music happening in this movie. It's great because it's it's simple but effective. I mean, I I like simplicity more than going too much. Like just going simple with the music, not going overboard, is a better mindset because it doesn't overwhelm the movie. Agreed. Well, let's go on to our relevant section: things we take away from the movie and can sort of apply to our own lives. And I actually have a few in this one, but I'll, I'll let you start off. What what did you take away from this movie? Well, obviously, with this first movie, fear is the common theme. Uh, It's talking about fear as a obstacle for Bruce. It's talking about fear as an enemy. Like you see, fear as a just every single part of this movie. There's fear, and one of the quotes that I think is a great quote from the movie that is definitely applicable is whenever Rachel is talking to Bruce, saying, "It's not who you underneath, but what you do that defines you," and uh, it's not about what you fear. It's not about who you think you are is about what you actually do because you that's who you are and uh no matter what you fear you can over what you can overcome it because you can fight against it whatever you fear as long as you put it into you to push through it then you'll overcome it you'll be greater than it you, you can use it to help you grow and that's kind of what batman does he uses his fear to help him grow he fights fear so that he can save just overall he overcomes every aspect of fear and becomes fear so just itself that that we can overcome the evil, overcome the fear by not just thinking about it, but actually putting action into it, putting action into the words, action to your thoughts. And it's something that a lot of times we fail, we fail at doing. That's something that we can challenge ourselves to do is, hey, I'm afraid of this happening, but you know what? If I don't do it, I'm going to regret that even more. We get a couple of flashbacks from Bruce's father where after he's rescued him from the cave that he's fallen into where he first develops his fear of bats, his father says, they're more afraid of you than you are of them. And then later when we've seen the Waynes get shot down by Joe Chill, his dying words to Bruce are, don't be afraid. So even from an early age, Bruce's parents are even trying to teach this lesson of don't let fear master itself over you. It, it, it sort of goes back to that classic John F. Kennedy quote, the only thing you have to fear is fear itself. That's a big part of this movie, cliched quote or not. It's about becoming master over your fear, not necessarily not necessarily using it against people like Batman does, but just accepting your fear and taking control of it rather than trying to fight it off or let it control you. That That's really cool. That's what I touched on as well in my notes. And then 
touching on the other quote. It's what you do that defines you. That is introduced by Rachel. It's not about who you are. It's not about what you look like. In fact, she calls his real face his mask at the end because it's his real face isn't the one out there making a difference in people's lives. His real face is the one out there being the celebrity playboy swimming in decorative pools at hotels. It's sort of like the actions speak louder than words quote. Actions are the words people see, and it's what people will judge you by. People are going to look out there, and people are going to see Batman as someone who's taking down crime and not killing anyone. It, it sets an example, and it separates Batman from other masked people, whether they're criminals or otherwise. Batman is the one who's out there doing good without killing. And we can all look at our own lives, and we can say, okay, what can I do that sets me apart as a good person? And I think that's a, a great takeaway. What else do you got? Other than the fear itself, obviously, I think another big thing that was brought up through a lot of characters was just the symbol of hope and being a foundation for people. I think that being, have the support system that Bruce has throughout the movie is really important. It shows us a value of friendship, a value of family uh, that we see throughout that. Because I think without the characters that were his foundation, Rachel, Alfred... Uh, Lucius was is a part of the foundation as well because he's loyal to that family. Just without that foundation, I mean, Batman himself would crumble. Without having that support system, uh, the character, the hero, would not be who he is because he would not, not have the hope that they instill in him because they see the light inside of him. They see what good he can do for the city, what good he can do for himself. And that just, uh, that just shows that support systems, whether it be friends, family, is so important just to have in life because no matter how defeated you can be, they're the ones that can help hold you up through whatever uh, obstacle or events happening to you. Uh, because I mean, obviously Bruce Wayne has just a tragic childhood. I mean, there's really just a lot of darkness, a lot of evil, and that's shown throughout all of his flashbacks through the music itself. And it's hard to overcome that. It's hard to overcome not having parents. It's hard to overcome losing everything. You're now growing up in a mansion filled with hundreds of rooms and it's just you and a butler. That's just a dark childhood. And because he had the support system of Alfred, of Rachel, of the families around him, that's what allowed him to grow and grow and move on and learn how to take his loss and understand that it did happen. It was sad, but I can now be the person my parents wanted me to be, even though they're no longer with me. So just that support system that he had, and it shows just that that's what everyone needs in life is to have a support system there for you to push you further than what you think you can be. It's like we were saying, Batman is a symbol, but Bruce Wayne is not. Bruce Wayne is very much a man, and as such, he's he's subject to those feelings of desperation, of guilt, of, of pain, and without having those rocks around him to support him and to to give him purpose and something to, to strive for, then he he's just going to, like you said, crumble. So that, that's a good point as well. Um, now, I also took away the idea of grief and how to deal with it and within that anger versus guilt. You know, Bruce originally feels guilty for his parents' death. He He's sitting there crying with Alfred and he's saying, you know, if I just hadn't gotten scared, we wouldn't have even been out there. We would have been inside with all those other people. Then he feels anger later as he as he grows at Joe Chill for taking his parents from him. And he goes so far as to almost shoot him. He, he has the gun in his hand and that opportunity is taken from him. Raz al Ghul uses his grief to join the League of Shadows, which is basically a ninja revenge cult, right? 
So Bruce learns over the course of the film that like with your fear, you can't let your guilt or your anger consume you. You have to find comfort in the people around you and in knowing that you are doing the best you can to do good. And tied into that is the idea of justice versus revenge. You have Rachel saying justice is about harmony and revenge is about making yourself feel better. Then at the end of the film, Bruce, who has learned from Rachel, says justice is about more than revenge. It's not about killing people. That's something that he's learned. And when you when you kill those who kill, does that make you better than them? That's the conclusion that Batman has reached, that Bruce has reached. It's about using that factor to set him apart from criminals. He has a line that he won't cross and a, a rule that he won't break. And so this idea of justice versus revenge, if we look at our own society, who are we to make judgment calls on people for doing bad things? That's why we have a justice system. And that's why we can't let our justice system become corrupt like it does in this movie. It's about using those systems in place to promote fairness and to to promote true justice rather than revenge. Yeah, this movie does a good job in portraying what it would look like when there is no justice in the city. Like, what would a city actually be founded upon if those that were in the positions of justice were not really there for justice? Like, that show, it's a good picture. It's also a scary picture as well. It is. I mean, you straight up have Judge Faden going against what he probably should because Falcone has him afraid of the consequences if he does otherwise. That's another example of the power of fear and why you can't let it control you. You have to always seek to do good. And I think that's that's probably the prevailing message of this film overall is do what you can in your own way to do good in the world. And that's what Batman's about. Yes, he's violent about it. And we shouldn't all go out there dressed in masks and capes and punch bad people in the face. But we need to find our own way in a way that suits us to do good in the world. And I think that's what I take away mostly from this movie and from Batman in general. What you just said about we all don't need to dress as Batman, that reminded me of the second movie where the scene where everyone is dressing up as Batman trying to stop crimes. And he's like, what's the difference between me and you? He's like, I'm not wearing hockey pads. Right. <laughs> so uh, it's just, I just reminded me of that funny part. But I, I totally agree with that. Like it, it just shows you that everyone has a specific calling of what you need to do in order to impact your community or impact those around you. And it's a different tool set that you've been blessed with, whether it be through your talents, through your work ethic, through whatever you are, you've been raised and are able to do, you have a way of impacting those around you. So just make sure that you identify that and use it to, to your own best ability to, to do good in this world. Agreed. Now, do you have any final thoughts on the movie as a whole? Final thoughts, obviously, this, this trilogy has just been, is just one of my favorite trilogies overall. And I mean, this, like we said, is just a great origin story. It get, brought a different respect for Batman and his character. And just, it's just a trilogy that is going to stand, I think, going to stand time. And I think it's just something that if you have not watched the trilogy, sat down and watched the trilogy all the way through, you need to do that because it's, you get to see so much character development, you get to see so much themes and messages that this the story shows and also you get to just see a great trilogy like it's one of the probably one of the top five trilogies i know of superheroes are the mythology of our modern day and age it's our greek gods and goddesses essentially and just like they did with those tales of greek gods and goddesses and stuff like the odyssey or in the iliad there are lessons to be taken away from these kinds of stories and batman here like we talked about is about doing good and about resisting corruption and about 
holding fast to those you love. And this movie promotes all those things. It brings the character of Batman who can be absolutely fun and a blast in roles of camp and comedy, but fits just as well into our world of realism and true life situations uh, that we can identify and take a a lot away from. So uh, Batman Begins, absolutely fantastic origin story and a great start to a fantastic trilogy. So I think that sums it up. That is the end of the official 46th episode of Cinescope. Thanks for being on the episode with me, Seth. Yeah, it was awesome. I had so much fun. Thanks for having me. Contact for the show, facebook.com slash podcast or at pod on Twitter. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Don't forget that giveaway is still more still going for six more weeks. If you're wanting to get a free movie or two, uh, make sure to rate and review on iTunes and to head over to social media and tag the show so that I see it. And those will both enter you for entries into the giveaway. And also, you can email feedback and ideas to the Cinescope Podcast at gmail.com. If you're interested in co-hosting, you can also use that email address. If you have a movie that you love that you think you could talk about for X number of minutes, then let me know because I'd love to have you on the show. Now, Seth, where can people find you online if they choose to see more of your thoughts and opinions? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. My tag is at Seth02. So Seth, the letter O, and the number two. Uh, so you, that's probably the, the most uh, accurate way to follow me so I can get in contact with you if you have any questions. And I'll, I'll also post funny stuff on Twitter. So there you go. Great. The best place to find me is also on Twitter. That's at Chadadada, C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A, and Facebook.com slash Chad.Hopkins. And all the show notes and contact information and the spellings, all of those you can find at thecinescopepodcast.com. And that's all for this week. Thank you once again, Seth. I was happy to sit and watch a movie with you today and record an episode afterward. It's been awesome having you on. Thanks so much, Chad. Thank you, everyone, for listening to episode 46. I'm Chad Hopkins. This was Cinescope, and we'll be back next week with episode 47. Have fun and celebrate movies. (laughs) 